You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Right now, the world really needs grain. And the good news is, Canada has it. In fact, we have a lot of it. It is shaping up to be a bumper crop on the prairies this year, which is great both for farmers and for the economy in general. And it's good for the world's supply since the ongoing war in Ukraine is still impacting commodities. So it's all positive here, except for one little problem. Right now, that grain is in the prairies. It needs to get to where it's going, which means it needs to travel out west to a port in British Columbia, and then onto a ship, and then onto wherever. And it's the first step in all of that that is the problem. For the past few weeks, there simply have not been enough trains available to actually take all that grain to port. And as we have all learned the hard way over the past few years, it only takes one screw-up at the beginning of a supply chain to create massive billion-dollar headaches for everyone involved. So, uh, where are the trains? What happens to the grain that can't be moved? What happens to the farmers who have contracts to sell that grain? What happens to the companies who bought that grain and you get it. Where did this screw up come from? Who owns it? Who fixes it? And how much time do they have? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Lindsay Campbell is a reporter with iPolitics.ca who covers, among other things, Canada's agriculture sector. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Jordan. How's it going? It's going really well. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. You're most welcome. And I'm, I've got to start you with what might sound like a dumb question, but can you just explain uh, for those of us living in the center of the universe who don't get out to the prairies much, how Canada's rail system works for exporting goods like grain? You know, who does it? Do they use the same tracks? How does it all come together? So from the end of August up until now and the next week or so, uh, producers at West will be wrapping up their their harvest and, and hauling out crop. So from there, producers will truck their harvest to uh, a grain elevator. After that, it's picked up and then it's transported in rail cars to either the Port of Vancouver, Prince Rupert, or Thunder Bay. We predominantly rely on the two big rail companies, CN and CP, to do this. And then from the port, it's put on a vessel. And when when it's put on a vessel, it's based on a date that the grain companies agree on ahead of time. So this is typically decided on two to three months ahead of time. It's based on, you know, the, the farmer coming to the grain company and the, the, the companies kind of deciding when it should go out based on you know, the right timing of harvest and what the other demand looks like from other producers and the demand for, for vessels. So so that's sort of how it works. Well, it sounds like a pretty uh, 
time-directed process where things have to be somewhere at a certain time in order for everything to function correctly. So how is that working in general? Um, Good question. Green producers and the the folks representing them are uh, a little bit anxious right now. There's sort of a few red flags or alarms that got set off uh, over the past few weeks and, and months. So under the Liberals Transportation Modernization Act, our two main rail companies have to submit plans uh, ahead of harvest season to provide the sector and the federal government as the regulator a sense of what they're going to be able to do, how they're going to be able to move commodities to market and sort of forecasting any sort of difficulties. So in July, both companies submitted those reports and Mm -hmm. the sector kind of started raising their eyebrows when they saw that in CN's report at that time in July, it was indicated that the rail company would have some difficulty meeting what the supply was and committing to moving all of that to export markets. So based on that, the sector kind of released a plan asking the federal government to create more transparency within the the rail companies to figure out why exactly that is and with hope that if they had implemented some of these requests that that they would be able to find some sort of policy solution or solution in general to to figure out how exactly we're going to move this crop to market. So that was the first uh, red flag. And then the the, the second red flag was there are these weekly reports put out that track if the rail companies are meeting their commitments to move commodities to ports based on how many cars were requested ahead of time. Most recently in last week's report, it found that CP was only providing 60% of what it had initially committed to in terms of rail cars. And in the report, it noted that it was the third consecutive week Mm -hmm. that CP was not meeting its its commitments. Do we know what's causing the lack of capacity and and what's causing uh, CP not to meet their commitments? Is it weather? Is it just simple demand, mechanical problems with the tracks? Like, what do the companies say? Yeah. So um, in my story that I wrote last week, I had reached out to both CP and CN because CN hadn't met all of its commitments either, but was doing better than CP. So CP didn't really give me a a straight answer. They just said, you know, we're on top of it. We're going to get things on track. Hmm. CN attributed its shortfalls to a washout and said that sometimes things get get off track if a main line is going to get lost uh, during a washout. But, you know, talking to folks in industry, I'm hearing that, you know, there could be labor shortages, which we know is a a big issue um, across all sectors right now. I'm hearing that, you know, the companies could be prioritizing other contracts where it could be getting more money from. And we don't know if that's a for sure thing or not, but that's something that, that I've heard 
talking to sources. And, and so that's, I think, why the sector wants more transparency. They'd like to know, you know, what exactly is happening here. They want plans from each of the companies to kind of know, like, okay, here are the shortcomings and this is what we can do to actually address this, this issue and ensure that commodities are making it to export markets. What happens when they don't? What happens when there aren't enough trains to get the grain uh, to the ports? Economic losses, for sure. You know, that could be the result of producers not getting peak prices in global markets because they're not getting the, the crop there on time. Farmers might not even be able to get peak prices domestically. And farmers who don't deliver their product don't get paid hmm. as long as it's you know, sitting there in in the grain elevator, the farmer's not getting paid for that. And, you know, let's say you miss a boat or you miss your your deadline to get it on a boat. It's it's millions and, and millions of dollars to try and arrange to get your product on another boat. So grain shippers have to pay contract penalties on on empty boats waiting at, at ports. You know, there could be lots of staff waiting around for no trains at the port elevators. So, you know, are you going to have to cut staff or staff being paid for doing nothing? These are all these little things to think about. So taking all of those things together into consideration, do we have any idea or any guidelines for for what kind of money we're talking about here? You mentioned tens of millions of dollars. What is it if you total it all up? Do we know? I mean, at this point, we don't know, but based on what happened in 2013 and 2014, um, there were losses of $5 billion in the prairie economy alone with inflation and how much everything is nowadays. It would probably be around that, if not more. And just, you know, thinking about the grain market's export value, it was $24.5 billion in 2021. So you take at least $5 billion off of that, that's a lot of money. Is there a clock ticking on that grain that you mentioned sits in elevators? Like, I'm trying to get a sense of if it can just wait a couple of weeks until there are enough trains, or if at some point, you know, the grain goes bad and, and it's a wash for the farmers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good question. So it depends on if the grain is stored properly. So if it's stored properly, then it could last until next summer. But we don't really know and we don't have reason to assume that, you know, the grain elevators are designed to hold grain up until then. So what I'm told by folks in the sector is that it's really crucial that we get this timing right because, you know, all the boats that come into the ports are timed based on Canada's harvest season. And there are several other countries that harvest at other times. Right. So we really need to get the the timing right because the boats have other places to be. And if our rail companies can't fulfill their commitments, then Buyers may go to other countries. It may put Canada's reputation as a reliable trading partner in question. I'm also hearing that. One of the producers I spoke to for this story said, 
yeah, I do all this work ahead of time and I do what I can, but it doesn't matter if I'm able to grow a good crop. If I can't get it to market, it's frankly embarrassing for me. And it's embarrassing for me to, to do these deals up front with, with international buyers and, and then have stuff like this fall through. What did we do last time to fix the bottleneck? You mentioned that we saw this in 2013-14. What do we do and can we do it again? So I believe at the, the time, the conservatives had their own legislation that they had introduced a year after. It was called the Fair Rail for Grain Farmers Act. And it set minimum financial penalties on the rail companies to say, if, if you don't fulfill this commitment, meaning this, this threshold by these dates, then you'll face financial penalties. I believe both of the companies, CN and CP combined, paid or were fined. I know at the very least they were fined around $150,000 for not meeting those commitments under that legislation. Hmm. So the Liberals didn't renew that legislation. I believe it expired in 2017. And then they introduced their own legislation, the, the Transportation Modernization Act in 2018. And it's not clear to me that, you know, we have these same financial penalties in place. Speaking to the Conservatives agriculture critic, he seemed to think that it would be a good idea to do something like this to hold the, the rail companies to account. But it's not exactly what the, the sector is asking for either, though. What are they asking for then? They, I think, would just like the federal government to put some stronger public pressure on the rail companies so that more people know about this. And they also had this four-pronged plan that they had asked the federal government to implement that would ask the rail companies to do a little bit more in terms of making sure that everyone is aware of, of what the challenges are and how exactly we can meet them, what's going on behind the scenes there. The federal government too claims that they're in frequent contact with the companies and had sent letters um, earlier this year to, to both of them, just reiterating the importance of, of meeting export commitments and, and the demand in that sense. But it, it doesn't really seem like the sector is satisfied at this point. So they're waiting for the federal government to make a move. The government is saying that it's already put pressure on them earlier, but uh, those representing the farmers say it's not enough. And in the meantime, in the meantime, I guess the clock is ticking because this is our harvest season. How long does it go for? Um, our harvest season is is wrapping up right now, but it will it will take the next few weeks for that commodity to get shipped. So we have a little bit of time, but one bad week is one thing. Two bad weeks is another thing. Three bad weeks is a really, really bad thing because, you know, we have a very fragile supply chain and everything needs to work out on time because it's not just Canada that we have to think about. It's, it's all of these other countries that have their own harvest season, as I mentioned. 
So last question, then. We just did an episode on Saskatchewan's booming economy, a lot of it uh, obviously driven by commodities, especially grain. And if we can't fix this, you know, you mentioned one or two weeks is, is not the end of the world. But in the big picture, what does this cost that economy that's, you know, the hottest in Canada right now uh, down the line, you know, if they can't fulfill contracts that they've already committed to? I mean, we can look at at what it costed the, the prairies last time around, but I would say if, if this becomes a regular thing, we really need to think about how we can do things differently. And, you know, if Saskatchewan wants to rely on export buyers as a way to kind of jumpstart its economy or fuel its economy. Lindsay, thank you so much for explaining this for us. We'll see what happens, I guess. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Thanks so much for having me. It was really great. Lindsay Campbell, reporting for iPolitics.ca. That was the big story. In this space, starting today, we'll be passing along some feedback from listeners. We'll be thanking listeners for story ideas. And we'll be letting you know what we have planned for the coming days, weeks, and months. First, I would just like to thank everyone who filled out our listener survey. We got so many amazing responses, including one that said, I was there, Walter Cronkite. I will contrast that with a recent review titled, I So Self-Important, that ended with the words, Dude, you are no Walter Cronkite. The people have spoken on both sides of the equation. Clearly, I'm just hosting a podcast. You can find that podcast at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can talk to us anytime on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email us hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca and you can listen to the podcast anywhere you get it. And you can compare me unfavorably to your favorite news anchor by leaving a review. The Big Story's lead producer is Joseph Fish. Ebian Abdegir is a producer. Stephanie Phillips is our showrunner. Braden Alexander is our sound designer. And I am Jordan Heath-Rawlings, not Walter Cronkite. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. We'll talk Monday.